1: better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that's done under the sun. This is the concept, this is the sentiment, really, that he repeats several times throughout the book. It's just better to have never lived than to be alive today. That's a guy who has lost everything because he's walked away from the promises of God. He's walked away from the hope of Israel, the God of his father, and he's allowed the things of this world and the gods of this world to pull him, to lure him into this absolute
0: emptiness. Are you feeling lost, maybe stuck or alone, forgotten? It's easy to feel this way when life gets stressful and we find ourselves turning away from God. Work can be demanding, money might be tight, or maybe you're having trouble within your family. Whatever struggles are causing you to feel this way, remember that God is there for you. He hasn't left you to struggle on your own. Turn back to Him, reach out for His love, so that you may feel peace once again. Listen today as Solomon faces these same feelings. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 20 with today's edition of The Open Word.
1: Gloom, despair, agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. That was from the television show, Hee Haw, way back in the day, the early 70s and the 80s. The song was written by Roy Clark and Buck Owens, country-western singers of that day. Uh, Some of you might have heard it. I remember my parents having that on while I was just a mere child. (laughs) Mere child it was It was supposed to be a, a humorous song, talking about you know pretty much how, how down and out and how the world had turned against them and, and each week, the verses of the song would kind of change it'd talk about different problems that they were having, usually talking about women or money that the, they were having problems with, but it could have a whole lot of other areas. It could be uh, problems with neighbors, problems with family members, host of other issues. basically, it was just a song about never receiving a decent break in anything and living a life of good- Gloom and despair and agony. Welcome to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we're at tonight. And I was reminded of that old song as I was studying this book, because as you go through Ecclesiastes, it's like one thing after another thing after another thing, and I'm thinking, dude, you gotta cheer up, life cannot be that bad. Ecclesiastes, you could read the Bible through from, from cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament, and you would not find a single book and probably hardly even a chapter with as much woe and as much despair as the book of Ecclesiastes has. And again, uh, in, in the midst of that, it begins at the very beginning, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Gloom, despair, agony on me. It just seems like those words fit so well in that. Again, the book is attributed to King Solomon. We're going through the Bible in a year, so we're trying to grab a a book a week, and hopefully we'll be able to get through the book of Ecclesiastes this evening. This particular book, as I said, written by Solomon, Solomon also the writer of most of the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. It was included in the canon of scriptures, and we need to understand that even with all the gloom and all the despair... It was inspired by God through the Holy Spirit as he wrote these things. So you think, really, how could God inspire such negativity? But we're going to look at that tonight. And again, since it is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, we understand from Paul's writings in 2 Timothy that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture given by God. So that's the way we need to make certain that we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, even as a bizarre, an account, and a viewpoint that he has on the world's uh, standing. Okay, so can we gain anything profitable out of such a depressing, such a discouraging book? Well, primarily... I believe that we can, because we are going to look at this, hopefully, with different eyes than what the author is writing. The author is looking through, again, his set of eyes, his set of experience. Now, we're going to go through and look through this book, hopefully with the eyes of faith, the eyes of encouragement, the eyes of the reality of the power and the might of God, the sovereignty of God. So rather than looking through the eyes of somebody that was so earthbound, We need to see life, and we need to look at all of life, not only the book of Ecclesiastes, but all of our lives, again, with a heavenly perspective. And that's what my encouragement to you is as we're looking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Again, you look at this book, and it really and truly is, it's written purely from a humanistic, secular mindset. Now, although God is mentioned throughout the book, you need to realize he, he, he never calls God by his name Jehovah. He never speaks of my God or my Lord. It seems like God is just this, this cosmic force out there rather than really and truly being the God of all creation and wanting to have relationship with man. He, he almost places God off on a, a whole nother level And that's why he writes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing that really means anything to him as we look at these things. Even the word vanity that that is translated here in our English versions as vanity, it could also be translated as empty. That, that, That whole mindset, emptiness of emptiness. All is empty. I don't know if you've ever met anyone in your life that, that kind of an attitude. It just seems like, man, they're just walking around all the time. It just seems like everything is against them in their own mindset. They're just so negative on everything. They're, they're, they're discouraging even to talk to. And so you just kind of back away from, from that mindset, from that type of personality. Well, that's what we see here. And as we enter into the first chapter of it, we find that all of the existence of, of him, of, of Solomon, is nothing but this endless cycle of the same misery, the same futility. What we see is a man literally without vision and without any hope really in eternity. Even though later on in, in chapter three of Ecclesiastes, he'll make the statement that God has made everything beautiful in its own time and that God has put eternity into their hearts. We know that he writes that, but in the vast portion of all the rest of it, we see this real negative sense, this very earthbound sense. There's no real connection, no real stated relationship with God that's ever been established or acknowledged throughout this entire book. Now, God seems to be some, again, as I said, a a cosmic creator. He just kind of established how things were gonna go, wound up the world, set it loose, and stands back from it for the most part, with no real interest in the personal lives of men, according to the the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. No other book points such an abstract disconnection of God and his creation as Ecclesiastes. And so he has the attitude that we see. Look at chapter 1 down in verse 9. I almost want to read these passages with the, with the voice and in the tenure or the tone of Eeyore. You know Eeyore from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Oh me, oh my. That which has been is that which will be. That which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. In other words, man, it's just so empty. It's just everything just keeps on going the same way and nobody cares about the past. And as a matter of fact, in the future, nobody's gonna care about you right now. It's in essence what he's saying. He clearly states that that he had let himself pursue after everything that he desired in, in the world's pleasures and in the world's goods. Look at chapter two, beginning in verse one. I said to my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. And so I became great and I excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And that's profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. There's nothing that was worth anything under the sun. Nothing he was able to accomplish in his own mind, nothing he was able to accomplish or to gain in this world gave him any kind of lasting pleasure or any kind of gratification. You remember, he was the wisest man in the earth. We know his kingdom was, was, uh, man, the riches were just almost uncalculable because all the money that was put in the temple was beautiful. He had riches galore and he just took everything. He was the king and he would do anything he wanted and he had the riches to do whatever he wanted. But the problem is, The things of this world left him empty, and it left him for wanting something more, something else. As a matter of fact, even within his life, it brought about a hatred of life and even a hatred of his own personal accomplishments. Still in chapter two, looks down in verse 17. He writes, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. And then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. These, guys, these, these are the words. These, this is the attitude of a man that's just simply focused on the temporary. He's focused on, on the earth. He's, he's definitely not looking heavenly. He definitely does not have that attitude of eternity. For him, everything stops when you take your last breath. We live our 70, 80, 90, 100 years, that's it. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, there's no more. That's the attitude that he says, but yet we know from, again, the balance of the entire word of God that the word of God is clear that our time our particular portion on this earth, no matter how long it is, that's time of preparation, actually, for the world to come. Because the world to come is eternal. This is just temporary. This is but for a moment. and a breath of a vapor. But eternity is forever. In, in chapter three, he begins actually with, with, with a great truth here as he speaks about the, the times and the seasons and uh, how, how life and how society itself changes. And I love this, this passage here in Ecclesiastes three, beginning in verse one. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Every one of those issues are true and he, he seems to allude to this idea this this understanding that there are cycles in life there there's seasons in life and those things actually show the plan of God not just some random consequence of life but no there is there is there's this cycle that goes on within life again of God's plans and God's purposes and yet even in that even with that understanding he still places man on the level of animals in both life and death. Look at what he speaks following here. His statements speak about the time and the effects of, of this life only and then to dust. Still in chapter three, look down in verse 12. He says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. And you think, man, that's a great word. To enjoy what God has given us. To, to again, enjoy the reality and the power and the presence of God, enjoy life. God, I believe, has placed us here to be able to enjoy what and where we can. But the problem is, he takes it, unfortunately, down from there rather than up from there. Look what he says in verse 19. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals. For all is vanity, all is empty. All go to one place. I know you want to make sure that your cat and your dog are there with you in heaven, but I don't think that's what he's speaking about here. All goes to one place. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. He doesn't really speak of eternity. He doesn't speak of, again, that continued power of the presence of our eternal life. He says, man, we, we just go to dust. We return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men which goes upward and the spirit of animal which goes down to the earth. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in what? His own works, not rejoice in God our Savior, but rejoice in his own works for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? I fully understand. We can't look into the heavens right now. But I believe that we have enough promises of God that we can understand that from here, as Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The understanding that from this life, we pass on into that greater existence of eternity, this all being just temporary. But again, here, that's not what he's looking at. Who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Around the same era of uh, the country western uh, television show, Hee Haw, there there was another actual country singer. and I remember all these country singers because honestly and truly, my parents played this stuff all the time. But there was another uh, country singer by the name of Peggy Lee. Anybody remember Peggy Lee? Yeah, okay, there's a couple of you. and uh, She made popular a song about that same time. The title of the song is That All There Is? After singing about several disappointments that she had in life, she would come to the chorus, and this one, I'm not going to sing for you. The, The chorus was simply this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Why, if that's all there is, my friends, then let's just keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. To me, those words sound very much like the words of Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, everything is empty. That's the kind of mindset that that writes that kind of a verse, that kind of words. And as you get to the last verse of that song, you can realize why the rest of that song states and, and declares what it does. Listen to the last verse of this song, Is That All There Is? She says, I know what you must be saying to yourself. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. Is that all there is? You know, that has such a fatalistic mindset But it's the same mindset that we see the preacher, Solomon, writing here. And as I've shared with you as we've gone through uh, Song of Solomon and Proverbs and now Ecclesiastes, I believe that Ecclesiastes was written in the sunset years of Solomon. I believe that, again, he let himself go in in every aspect of the word. The, The multiple wives that he brought brought him into idol worship and, and drew him so far away from God. He's chasing after every vain thing, and nothing, nothing was satisfying because he left the one who would have brought fulfillment to his life. This is life. There's nothing more. There's no view of heaven. There's no concept of any kind of a relationship with Almighty God. Chapter four in Ecclesiastes, it really doesn't get any better at all. Look at chapter four, verse one. Then I returned, I considered all the oppression that's done under the sun. And look, the the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there's power, but they have no comforter. You see, he has dialed out completely God's presence in the life of those that are oppressed. He's dialed out completely that peace that passes all understanding. He's done away with in in, in his writing and in his mind and understanding that, yeah, in this world, we'll have tribulations. There's, There's hard things that we go through in this world. But our God is greater than all of these things. He's laid that all aside. Look in verse two. Therefore, I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that's done under the sun. This is the concept, this is the sentiment really that he repeats several times throughout the book. It's just better to have never lived than to be alive today. That's a guy who has lost everything because he's walked away from the promises of God he's walked away from the hope of Israel the god of his father and he's allowed the things of this world and the gods of this world to pull him to lure him into this absolute emptiness the whole balance of chapter 5 it's just a variety of proverbs one of the best that i believe one of the many jewels that we do actually find here in Ecclesiastes is found in verses nine through 12. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning in verse nine. He writes there, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Oh, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him.
0: That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future. And the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there, too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more